This morning, God's Word comes to us from the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to be reading all 13 verses of this chapter. Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. If you have a Psalter hymnal, I encourage you to turn to the back to number uh, page uh, 103. Page 103, this is the third and fourth heads of doctrine of the Canons of Dort. And this morning we're going to read just articles 6 and 8 and 11 and 12. I'm going to read from article 6. What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law could do, that God performs by the operation of the Holy Spirit through the word or ministry of reconciliation, which is the glad tidings concerning the Messiah, 
by means whereof it has pleased God to save such as believe, as well under the Old as under the New Testament. Article 8. As many as are called by the gospel are unfeignedly called. For God has most earnestly and truly declared in his word what is acceptable to him, namely that those who are called should come unto him. He also seriously promises rest of soul and eternal life to all who come to him and believe. Article 11. But when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect or works in them true conversion, he not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them and powerfully illuminates their minds by his spirit, that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God, but by the efficacy of the same regenerating spirit, he pervades the inmost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart and circumcises that which was uncircumcised, infuses new qualities into the will, which though heretofore dead, he quickens. From being evil, disobedient, and refractory, he renders it good, obedient and pliable, actuates and strengthens it, that like a good tree it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. And then finally, Article 12. And this is that regeneration, so highly extolled in Scripture, that renewal, new creation, resurrection from the dead, making alive, which God works in us without our aid. But this is in no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel, by moral suasion, or such a mode of operation that after God has performed his part, it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not, to be converted or to continue unconverted, but it is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful, and at the same time, most delightful, astonishing, mysterious and ineffable, not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead, as the scripture inspired by the author of this work declares, so that all in whose heart God works in this marvelous manner are certainly infallibly and effectually regenerated and do actually believe, whereupon the will thus renewed is not only actuated and influenced by God, but in consequence of this influence becomes itself active. Wherefore also man himself is rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. Well, we are continuing our study of the glorious doctrines of God's grace, God's work of salvation. We began by talking about election what it is that God has done. He has chosen a people for his very own. We talked about the atonement. For whom did Christ die? For whom did God do this work? He did it for each and every one of the elect. And now we look at how God accomplishes that work of salvation. He does it by irresistible grace. Grace that is irresistible. We talked about the fact that the third and fourth heads of doctrine 
are always put together. Talking about man's depravity is quickly followed by talking about God's irresistible grace. These two belong together. Total depravity is that backdrop against which we see the glory of God's grace. Total depravity, the fact that every part of man is stained with sin, our will dead in transgressions and sins, always choosing against the ways of God. Remember, children, freely choosing what's bad for us, the bowl of candy or the bowl of Brussels sprouts. We always choose the wrong. The Bible describes us as dead in transgressions. Not sick, not weak. We need someone else from the outside to work upon us, and that is what God does. And that's where we see his glory in the work of irresistible grace. He makes us alive. As we have seen with regard to the doctrines of grace, many of these are misunderstood or mischaracterized. When we say that God's grace is irresistible, we do not mean that everyone who externally hears the call of the gospel will be irresistibly drawn. We do not mean that. We do not mean by irresistible grace that we cannot for a time appear to resist the call of God. Maybe some of you have done that. That that, that you, you, you sensed God calling you and you tried very hard to resist that call. In irresistible grace, we mean that for all of those in whom God is working by His Spirit, we will finally be irresistibly drawn to Him, irresistibly and effectively called. Isaiah begins with that call. Verse 1, come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. A call that goes out. Come, everyone. Come to the waters. Come and be blessed. It is a sincere call from God. I I like how, how Article 8 describes that call. As many as are called by the gospel are unfeignedly called. For God has most earnestly and truly declared in His Word what is acceptable to Him, namely, that those who are called should come unto Him. He also seriously promises rest of soul and eternal life to all who come to Him and believe. God desires and effectively calls those who will believe. But the problem is, we cannot respond to this call in ourselves. Remember, children, we are dead. The prophet uses this picture. Come to the waters. Come he who has no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why would you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? The prophet says, Even if we could somehow of ourselves come and buy what we need, we would waste our money. We wouldn't wouldn't spend it on the things of God. We'd waste it on other things. And we are incapable. 
which, he said, which is why he says, come by without money and without price. You are incapable in and of yourself to respond to this glorious call. But that witnesses to the power of the gospel. Because the call itself effectuates the response when accompanied by the Holy Spirit. It is God who is at work. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. It is God who acts. It is God who calls. It is God who enlivens. He is the one who makes a covenant with us. It's not as if we're seeking after God and we make an arrangement with Him. No, children, a covenant is an arrangement, a relationship based on promises and obligations. God makes promises to us. I will be your God. And He obliges us, and you will be my people. God says, I come and make a covenant with you. And as God effectively calls all those in whom the Spirit is at work, His people will respond. He is the one who in that call makes us alive. God acts first. We who were dead in transgressions and sins are made alive. Something acts from outside of us. And that call comes and enlivens us. Were it not for the fact that God acts, that God enlivens, that God does that which we could not do, the rest of this text wouldn't make any sense. He talks about seeking the Lord. We would never seek the Lord unless God first sought us. The call is sincere, and the call is effectual. And God, in that effectual call, does a a miraculous work. So we go go on to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God comes, God actuates, God enlivens. That's what he means by while he may be found, while he is near. God is working on us. God is effectually calling us. It is is his initiative to bring that call. It is his timing to bring that call. We sometimes want to force the hand of God to act in our time. But God says, in my time, I will act. I will will call and effectuate that answer. This miraculous work is done by God. Again, salvation first and last from God. That was the burden of the canons, to talk about who's ultimately responsible for salvation. Is it God or is it man? And the scriptures remind us God is ultimately responsible. There are a few texts, like I said, we just have to know when talking about irresistible grace. One of those texts is John 6, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 6. This is a text that we, we just have to know. John 6, verse 44. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless... The Father who sent me 
draws him. No one can come. We are dead unless the Father draws him. Unless the Father does that miraculous work and gives new life and effectuates our response. No one comes unless God himself draws. We think of a text like Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we read those beautiful words of verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who is working? It is God. God is predestining, God is calling, God is justifying, God is glorifying. It is He who does that miraculous work within us. And He continues that work even today. Today in the call of the gospel, today as the call to repent and believe goes out again. If you are hearing this, if you are tuned in today and you are hearing this call, It is God himself who is calling. And he says, seek him while he may be found. If you are are sensing that God is moving within you, don't reject that. For he will irresistibly draw you to himself. God continues to seek and to save the lost. That's our, our hope in missions. That's why we do missions. Not so we feel good, not so we build the church, but that God receives the glory as all of his own are brought in through the power of the gospel. Come to me, seek me while I may be found. God calls us today. Isaiah goes on in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now we know that left to ourselves, we would never forsake our sinful ways. We we embrace our sin. We enjoy our sin. We would wallow in the ugliness of our sin, left to ourselves. But God's Spirit is at work. And when that Spirit is at work, we no longer desire to return to those sinful ways. We do begin to forsake those ways. We begin to turn from those unrighteous thoughts. God begins that work in us by the power of His Holy Spirit. He is the one who is at work. As Ezekiel will tell us, it is He who removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. God takes that which was cold and dead, a stone, And by his spirit enlivens and gives new life a heart of flesh itself. God, by his spirit, is at work. This is reflected in the confession as well in Article 12. And this is that regeneration so highly extolled in Scripture, that renewal, new creation, resurrection from the dead, 
making alive, which God works in us without our aid. But this is in no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel, by moral suasion, or such a mode of operation that after God performs his part, it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not, to be converted or unconverted. It is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful, at the same time most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable. It is God's work. God's work to irresistibly draw each and every one of his own unto him. No one comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Father. What is the, the means by which God does this wonderful work? What is the means by which this irresistible grace uh, draws us to him? Is it a mystical means? Do we have to engage in uh, serious introspection? Do we have to kind of uh, block out the things of the world and, and, and make our minds empty and, and focus on what is inside of ourselves? Uh, what, is the, what is the means? What's the tool that God uses? Well, children, God uses a very simple tool to accomplish this. A very simple tool but an effective tool. He uses the preaching of his word. That is the tool of the Holy Spirit to work this, this irresistible grace in our hearts and our lives. Look at verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which it was sent." The prophet uses these pictures, the rain, the snow coming down, to water the earth, to provide for the earth, to, to make things grow and sprout, to give seed to the sower, bread to the eater. These pictures of, of new life and sustenance. That's what the Word of God does for us. The preaching of the Word is that tool of the Holy Spirit, whereby that grace is irresistibly, effectively worked in the hearts of believers. Now, it's not simply the external preaching of the word. We read that also in the confession. In fact, I'll read it once again in Article 6. Article 6. What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law could do, that God performs by the operation of the Holy Spirit through the word or ministry of reconciliation, which is the glad tidings concerning the Messiah, by means whereof it has pleased God to save such as believe. As, so, as well in the, in the Old as the New Testament. And then again from Article 11, but when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect or works in them true conversion, he not only causes them to be, to, not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them, 
but powerfully illuminates their minds. It's not simply the external preaching of the gospel. It is the Spirit at work powerfully illuminating us. And that is what is so amazing about the preaching of the gospel. When the gospel is declared, everyone hears the same sermon. Today, that's what's going on. Everyone is hearing the same words. And for some, they will say this idea that someone who lived many, many years ago by dying could remove my sin, for some, that will make no sense at all. Why put my faith in some dead Jew from long ago? But in others, in others, they will hear this message and the Spirit will enliven their hearts and they will say, this is for me. This this grace is now irresistibly drawing me to Jesus Christ by the power of the Father. We hear the same external message, but God combines that with the internal working of the Holy Spirit. Today, if you you sense the Spirit of God is working in your heart, if you are hearing this message and moved to confess Jesus Christ, do not reject that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We sing from the Psalter hymnal, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. Today, God continues to move our souls to seek him as he is seeking us while he may be found. Because in that, in that we find our true joy. That's how this this, uh, prophecy ends, verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. True blessedness, true peace, true joy is only found in Christ Jesus. Only found in knowing Him as Lord and Savior. The world will offer all kinds of imitations. The world will say, uh, joy is this way, peace is this way, but they are all false pretenders to the true joy and peace that comes from Jesus Christ. Today, if you are living, living looking for those, those true blessedness, true righteousness, true holiness, stop looking at the world at these faulty things the world seems to offer. And look rather to Jesus Christ. God calls you. Seek him while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. You will go out with joy. You'll be led forth with peace, true peace, between you and a holy God. And that will spread then to peace with those around you, being reconciled to Jesus Christ. And as God does this, he says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. These these pictures of not thorny bushes, but lush, rich green bushes. Those things grown by God. Um, 
elsewhere in the, in the, in the Word of God, the Psalms, uh, the man of righteousness is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers. This beautiful picture, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. God's people growing, sprouting, planted by streams of water. And all of this for God's glory. That's how this prophecy ends. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Who gets the glory? Who gets the praise? Is it me? Because I I had the good sense to choose for Jesus. I had the good sense to seek after God. No, God gets the glory because he's the one who acted. He acted first. He came to me through the preaching of the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he enlivened a dead heart. That call had power, effective call, to bring me back to life and to allow me now to seek God while he may be found. That's the work God does even again today. Grace that is irresistible. A grace that God gives through the preaching of His Word by the power of His Spirit to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. So come. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the water. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You don't have to do anything. Christ has done it all. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God's irresistible grace. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, truly, it is not that we did choose thee for lord that could not be this heart would still refuse thee hadst thou not chosen me thank you O god for not leaving salvation up to us up to those who were dead in transgressions and sins for we could not enliven ourselves thank you O god for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish the work of redemption. And thank you, O God, for the power of your Holy Spirit to apply that redemption to each and every one of your chosen. Thank you for the ministry of the Word. For that Word is powerful and effective when accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we pray once again, O God, most earnestly today, you would draw each and every one of your own to you. And may even this ministry of the word be used to that glorious end. For to you, God, belong all the glory, all the honor, and the praise. Hear us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen.